Welcome to Double Fries No Slaw. We are back again. I think this is episode seven. If I can count correctly, it's the fourth scheduled episode. I know we've had a few pop-up shows. Myself, TJ Pittenger. I'm gonna do again, I'm gonna do this every time. 2013 national champion Freddie Stevenson and the super host, Richie Barnes. How you guys doing tonight? Doing good. Doing well. Good, good. We will uh we'll jump right into it again this weekend. We'll do all the uh, we'll, we'll give real quick plugs. If you, if you're watching right now, if you can share, retweet, like all of this on uh, Facebook, anywhere that you're watching it, YouTube, Periscope, I believe we're on Twitch. Shout out to my guy Harlan who helped us out there as well this week. Um, and then we want to real quick shout out Guthrie's in Tallahassee, uh, for, for helping us make this show possible. Uh, check out both their locations at 2550 North Monroe street, 1818 West Tennessee street, Tell them that Double Fries No Slaw sent you. Um, got a little update on that No Slaw um, that you guys may have seen on my Twitter this week. But a little update there. But without further ado, I do want to announce um, our guest this week, uh, Anthony Becht. Anthony Becht, um, most notably of the Jets and the Bucks, played for a few more teams, covers the NCAA now, um, very heavily in tune with what's going on. Uh, Anthony, thanks for joining us tonight, man. Thanks for hanging out. How you doing, bud? I'm doing great. I appreciate you guys having me on. And Freddie, I, you know, I don't know if you're going to be able to get back in the boxing shape if your show's called Double Fries No Slaws. <laughs> but that's definitely not going to get you in the ring anytime sooner. I know that. Sure, you look like you're in good shape though. Still, yeah. My trainer even bothered me once he saw me with the shirt on. He thought I was cheating the day when he saw me with the shirt. <laughs> we need to get Freddie a special Double Slaw No Fries shirt to get. Back down to boxing weight, we'll be sad. But um, so double fries, no slaw. I think we haven't talked about this, but uh, it is an ode to Guthrie's in Tallahassee. Guthrie's is super popular there. Have you ever had Guthrie's uh, before? I haven't. I know about it. I, I passed by it. I, I have not been able to get over there. I called a couple Florida State games the last couple of years, and uh, it's on my list now. So I, I know who to call, talk to. I know what to mention. I expect. Uh, you know, everything's going to be on the house if I say Freddie's name and I'll be good to go. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be sad, man. Just mention Freddie anywhere in Tallahassee and, well, at least at Guthrie's it'll be good, but you'll you'll be sad. Um, just make sure you don't get slaw. Don't post a picture and tag us in it if you've got coleslaw because we don't. No slaw. I won't. We don't. <laughs> um, we'll jump right into it, man. I appreciate it again you, you hanging out with us. Uh, so I'm in Tampa, so I'm a Bucks fan. Um you were on a couple of Bucks teams, actually one that won the division. I believe you're Tampa, correct? With, the, with with everything going on with the Bucks, what uh, what was your favorite memory from playing? You know, here in Tampa with the Bucks, what was what was your biggest takeaway from that? Yeah, you know, um, we had some good, th- you know, three seasons that I was there. You mentioned it. Uh, actually, won two division. Uh, championships, my first, and then uh, of the of the three years, and then my third. Uh, you know, listen, I, a lot of great members. I mean, getting to win the division my first year in 05 was a big deal. You know, there was a uh, you know a lot of movement in the off season. The Bucks were kind of strapped from a free agency standpoint. They could only bring a few guys in, and uh, you know we had a little bit of a shuffling of the cards at the quarterback position. Greasy kind of started the year off hot. And then he got hurt. And then, 
uh, you know, it was kind of a collection of guys, but Chris Sims came in and, and was our quarterback. So we had the lefty slinging the ball around and you know, we were able to put a solid year together. And also, you know, it was kind of like the transition for me in my career where I was, you know, pass catching guy to when I came there, we uh, drafted Cadillac Williams. And it was uh, those first, uh, some good moments is those first couple games, I think like the first five or four or five, six games, he had the most rushing yards of any rookie in the history of the NFL. The kid was just uh, exciting back to uh, block for, you know, coming in as a rookie, it's always hard to kind of acclimate and Cadillac uh, coming from the SEC, man, this kid demanded respect. And, uh, you know, you just love the blocking for the kid because he ran so hard every single week. So that was a great moment there. Um, uh, another moment connected to, to Cadillac because he had such a fantastic rookie season, you know, uh, he, he got me a, a Breitling watch, you know, the lineman and the, and the blocking tight end got a nice Breitling. And I still have that to this day. It's engraved and everything. So Cadillac's got a little special place in my heart uh, during his uh, days there and us playing together. Uh, another uh, another good moment. Um, I don't know if you remember the, uh, the the Donovan McNabb puke game when he came down and oh, threw yeah. up uh, <laughs> during that game. And, and Matt Bryan, our kicker, at that, yeah, 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 made that 63-yard field goal. I was on that – I mean, I played a ton of snaps. I was a starter. But that was an exciting moment to make a field goal that long, 63 yards, I believe. So that was pretty sweet. Uh, and then I guess uh, another fun kind of slash football moment is my last season – or no, wait. No, it was my end of my second year – and my, you know, my third season was tied up to a lot of incentives that I had to hit in my second year. Well, uh, everything was tied to one more catch, one more touchdown, one more yard. Well, in my second, um, in my second season, I didn't have, or my first season, I only had, uh, I only had one touchdown catch. So my next year, I had one. I had to get one more. Each of those things paid me two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. So uh, I remember we were playing the Redskins. And we were on like the three yard line and we had a two by two set. Bruce Gretkowski was the quarterback and uh, I was on the side to the left. Joey Galloway was a, he was split outside and we all had, you know, two slants and lookies, Freddie, right? Lookies in, in the middle. So I just kind of like a, just a hit, hit the line on an angle slant on the inside. Well, Bruce turns around and he guns the ball to Joey Galloway. Now, if you ever watch Joey Galloway, he's been, you know, magnificent player, but He's not a tight quarters catcher. He's a down the field, lay the ball up in the air. He likes the basket catch. Anything in close proximity or where you're getting a dart or throwing the ball right on, his hands aren't really, for some reason, that's just not his world. So when I turned around, that ball went up in the air. It hit him right square in the chest, and it banged up into the air. And I literally, I like, it was like so much, I, I was like jogging to the ball, jogging, right? And I dove and made this extended catch three <laughs> yards into the end zone, and it got me $250,000 for the next season. So although it was a meaningless, you know, kind of less spectacular play out there in, in somebody's football career, it paid a lot of money. So it was actually pretty cool. So that, that, that was a fun moment that I had in the Tampa Bay uniform. That's all. Um, yeah. I remember Greg Kowski. Freddie. Hey, go ahead, TJ. Go ahead, Brady. Oh, yeah, that um, the yeah. 63 yard field goal that one's kind of crazy. I got a crazy story about that, actually. I'm sure I'm not sure about you, Richie, but I'm a big Bucks fan, too. Oh, yeah. And when I was watching that game, I had just broken my right ankle in Park Warner, and so I'm on crutches watching the game. And the 63 yard field goal, they're like, Man, there's no way he's gonna hit it, there's no way he's gonna hit it. So here I am expecting them not to hit it. And I'm like, man, my Bucks got to win. They got to pull this one out. And then he hits it. So I jump off the bed, 
roll my left ankle, almost break that one. So I'm going to go out of there with, in, in the cast on both feet, but I was happy as hell, man. Um, but yeah, that was a, that was a great moment. That's definitely definitely one of my biggest memories watching the Bucks court Super Bowl. But that's one I'll definitely remember. Freddie, you make me feel a little old when you said you were playing Pop Warner and you rolled your ankle when you saw that game. So kind of know where I'm at right now. <laughs> I'm feeling old now. That was so long ago. I'm like, dang. <laughs> So, Anthony, you know, while we're on the subject of the Bucks, uh, early in your career, you uh, were in the same division as some guy named Tom Brady. Um, what were your thoughts when you saw he signed with Tampa Bay? And do you still think he has enough in him? And, and what's the ceiling for Tampa Bay this year? Is this Super Bowl or bust? Or are they just looking to get a respectable record? Because I know as a Bucks fan, I, the three of us are all big Bucks fans. I, I was pumped when we saw Tom Brady. Sad to lose Jameis, but very, very excited to see what Brady could do for us. Yeah, I mean, listen, it's it's a huge sign. I mean, he's the best quarterback to play the game. Uh, you know, the health is the question mark. I mean, random things happen to old people's bodies. I was a part of that, you know, and he's been able to kind of stand the width of time and stay away from those things. And I knock on wood, you know, every time I see him out there because that's ultimately, you know, something that you wouldn't think would just randomly happen could. And, you know, he trains well. He's, he's, he's really just – Driven at that age is remarkable. We both came out in the 2000 draft, and to think that I've been out of the game since 2012 and he's still cranking them out is pretty impressive. But uh, is it do or die, Super Bowl or, or, or bust for this team? I'll tell you, uh, you know, NFC Championship would be, you know, the starting point for me. I mean, this team is loaded offensively. You're talking about collectively the best weapons that Brady has had in probably the last, you know, at least the last 10 years of his career maybe you know, when Randy Moss was in, in New England. So uh, I'm expecting big things. I really am. The offensive line clearly is, is, uh, should be better uh, with Tristan Wirfs. Uh, you know, I watched a lot of that kid in college football at Iowa the last couple of years, and that was the kind of key component to kind of shore up that line. And you know, I think you guys would agree the defense was pretty good to finish the season last year with a lot of youth in the secondary that played well. So the addition with some of those draft picks – and the combination of what Brady can do and and the expectation level. I mean, look, you know, Jameis, a ton of yards the last uh, couple of years and, and the big numbers. But, you know, clearly there's a difference between, you know, what Tom Brady's going to bring to the field and, of course, what Jameis's skill set was. Do you expect – so, you know, obviously we would expect the um, – so a little deeper level on that. I expect, obviously, Brady to throw much less – um, interceptions, right? Turn the ball over way less, but absolutely, yeah. Don't think that he goes for often, and running game has to get better, right? Like Brady's not throwing the ball enough times to go for five grand as as far as a yardage mark goes, right? Yeah, you know, I still think this team starts with the pass first. You know, I really like Ronald Jones. I think that he had huge strides last year from his rookie season. And this season is more going to be a mental deal. The biggest knock on him and why he doesn't play more percentage of the snaps is just his, his mental mental capabilities to really excel in the playbook. Uh, I expect that to be as good as ever. I mean, this is his third season, so you have to be peaking at this point. Um, and, you know, you can – the short passing game, you know, LaShawn McCoy, if he – you know, stay healthy, and he's a guy that can be a part of some of the pad. They, they can actually remember the Patriots having a short pass game that was similar to what they wanted to do from a running standpoint. So, 
across the board, though, this line, as big as they are, as the experience as they are, as much money as they have invested right now, there's no reason why they shouldn't be able to run the ball effectively. It boggles my mind that you have basically starters in the front that, you know, you can basically put them up against a lot of players in the league, but yet not have a defined run game built around it. So we know Bruce Arians likes to pass the ball. We know what his objective is week in and week out, but it would behoove him not, uh, you know, and, and Byron Leftwich, of course, to, to call those kind of plays, to have that balance uh, and, you know, how good Tom Brady is with the play action game. So all of those things I think are going to build around the skill set of Tom because, you know, though he has many, there are some effective ones that regardless and people – you know, know what he can do. He still beats you with with certain cluster of plays, and I think those will be something you'll see built into this season's offense. If you uh, if 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 we were going to, and Twitter will not let you forget. So just know that if you had to call it right now, what what do you see the Bucks win total looking like this year? Uh, in just, factoring in factoring in Brady being you know new in the offense, also the greatest of all time. No, no real offseason, just kind of all things considered. Where, where do you see them fitting in? I would be disappointed uh, anything less than 10. I, I would actually like to see 11. I, I mean, 11 to me is kind, of the, is kind of the point where it should be. That's kind of the start point for me. 10 would be almost as if, well, you know, I've been covering the Bucks for so long and watching what they've done that 10 may be acceptable for a lot of the fan base. But for me, I wanted 10 last year, and I didn't get that. So uh, I definitely feel like, you know, 11 games is where it starts for this football team. Uh, it, it won't be easy. The division is strong as it's ever, ever been. Carolina is much better. I was a huge proponent of signing Teddy Bridgewater to the Buccaneers if they weren't able to get Tom Brady. And, you know, Matt Rule's a, a good friend of mine, and I know he's going to make uh, he's gonna th- make some things right over there, and they got some weapons as well. So – uh, and then Atlanta, for some reason, I scratch my head when you talk about their offense and what they didn't do last year. They'll probably bounce back. And then the offseason schedule for them is not easy. I believe Casey is on the schedule. Uh, I think the Green Bay Packers are on the schedule. So although it won't be easy, Tom, Gronk, th- those guys have been through this. Do the other guys follow suit? Do they understand and do will they be able to have that, the fortitude to, to get into those games have the confidence, make the key plays, make the key catches, do the key things that honestly is common common suit for guys like Tom Brady and Robert Gronkowski. Yeah, the Bucks lost two games last year just on kicking, right? Even with the 30 interceptions, if the kicking is just a little bit better and hits two kicks, uh, they go nine and seven, right? So you would think if they can get two more wins out of the kicking uh, and then maybe two or three more wins out of out – of you know, the greatest quarterback that ever lived, then, you know, they'll be set. So, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of right there with you on that one. Um, I know when you're in New York days, y'all had a lot of back-and-forth battles with um, Brady. And a lot of the Bucks fans, they kind of seen some of his success in New England, but you witnessed it personally. So, um, and I used to watch it. I used to hate the Patriots. Um, <laughs> I, whenever y'all played them, I'm like, man, I hope they pull this one out. And, I mean, Brady, he just doesn't quit. Whenever you feel like you have him and you have those guys' numbers, he always finds a way. So, um, for the Bucks fans that don't really understand what type of competitor they're getting in Tampa, um, kind of give them a understanding of the type of guy they're getting because those teams y'all had in New York, there were some tough teams. Y'all had some great offenses, but also a dominant defense. 
You're right. Um, you know, I, I remember the game, the first game he got to play. You know, we're in New England. Drew Bledsoe was the quarterback. Uh, and Mo Lewis, our defensive end, is chasing Drew Bledsoe to the sidelines. And he, he basically puts his helmet through his chest and knocks him out for the season. And on, on comes Tom Brady jogging onto the field. Nobody knows him. Nobody thinks anything of him. You know, call it a day. And he comes in and kind of, you know, almost comes back and beats us in that game. Uh, but the preparation uh, at that young level, at the quarterback position, was unprecedented. He's a fierce competitor. I mean, he he refuses uh, – he, he demands perfection. And I think you guys have seen the frustration on his face, you know, in particular last season, just on the, 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 the feel of just not having those pieces. And I think that kind of grew into the fact that in the offseason he needed a change and need to get somewhere where he can maximize the one or two years, maybe even three years that he has left, or at least he thinks he has left, uh, at the quarterback position. Uh, just, you know, he knows more than you in pre-snap, okay? He's an elite film guy. I mean, again, he's got all the answers to the test. It's just, you know, how does he beat? He only beats himself or the people around him you know, they aren't quite on the same page. You have to have a really good plan because you're not going to be able to distort your defense and and trick Tom Brady. And I think that's the biggest thing that he brings to the table. Once he, you know, makes that clap out of the out of the huddle and he starts zooming in while everybody's getting set, like the, the play is like unfolding and, and nothing's happening for any of us fans as we're watching it. And that's the key. And, the, you know, some guys are, you know, Peyton Manning. These guys diagnose things very quick. So to have those weapons across the board, to, to have that deter determination and that fire that he offers, I want that fire to come out on the sideline. I want him to be a frisky kind of player and get on some of these players when things don't go right because he's earned the right to do that. And honestly, I think these players are begging for something like that as well because, uh, you know, We've seen so many of the mistakes at the quarterback position the last couple of years. You know, I want to start pointing the fingers at some of the other guys because they're not living up to the expectations. And I think Tom's going to bring that precedence week in and week out. Anthony, in 2002, you guys won the division. Looking back, I don't think anybody would have thought that the Patriots would win, I think, 16 of the next 17. But how much more special is that, knowing you won it and then seeing what happened with Tom Brady and the Patriots after that? Yeah, you know, it's it's it's, it's phenomenal because, you know, I think that uh, when you look at the full scope of it and, 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 and the difficulties it was when you're playing against a guy like him, um, you know, it's it was no easy chore. I mean – we felt like we we had their number, and, and I think it was you know 2000 that 2004 run. We were we were like feeling pretty hot as a football team in New York. Uh, we felt like you know we were that team that came in, didn't have the best record, uh, but we felt pretty confident. And you know we couldn't get out of uh, of Pittsburgh in round two, where we missed two kicks on our end to go play the Patriots, where we felt like you know they weren't as good as us that year. And then they end up doing their thing. So, you know, I think for, for me, it's just kind of, um, you know, the memories are there, the, the, the competition, the games and the things that we, we've done. And it's crazy to believe that he's actually still doing this now at this level uh, in the league in, in 2020. It's unbelievable. So I'm going to take it the other way. Um, I am the notice noted um, Jameis Winston Homer on this podcast. Um, 
I think these guys are all fans, but I like I am like an absolute fangirl when it comes to Jay Boo. So um in New Orleans now, fresh start, um, gets to not be the not be the guy. I know Jameis had a lot of weapons, and let me go on my little campaign for him. But you know, a lot of people forget about it is the year that, that Jameis was drafted. The Bucs, they won two games. You know, so he was drafted to a bad franchise that did put a lot of talent around him, but he just couldn't be that guy. Um, what do you see long term for for him? I mean, obviously this year he only really probably gets in if if Breeze goes down. But do you, is he potentially the guy there in New Orleans? Like how how good of a situation is he in to maybe sit behind a guy that I mean, heck already has a TV deal lined up? Like is that is that potential? Yeah, you know, together the I future think, there in, in. Yeah, I think uh, I think it's a good destination for him. You know, I, I don't know how many years Drew has left. He's still playing at a high level. But, you know, he was, you know, thinking about potentially, you know, leaving, you know, this year. So, uh, you know, as much as I think Taysom Hill's a good quarterback, I don't know if he's a complete quarterback that is the one you're actually turning the keys over. I kind of like the skill set that he brings. Uh, you know, Jameis has a lot to work on, though. I mean, uh, I know that he's a very confident player. I know that he believes in some of his other numbers. But truly, there is a uh, there's a there's a kind of a you know, decision making issue right now that's kind of affected him. And it wasn't just last year; it's a year before. You know, I studied Jameis a ton the last two years, I, up to really towards the end of the season last year. I was a big proponent on a lot of things that weren't his issue. But as you look at it, the full scope of it, um, you know, his play overall could have been better. And, and and did that help that their offense was such a, you know, a high-powered octane offense? They asked them to do a ton. It doesn't help because, you know, when those decisions have to be made, uh, you know, those you've got to be accurate. You've got to be clean. You know, you've got to be able to deliver on time and and do those things and have that rapport. And he wasn't able to do that consistently. And, and really, it just goes across the board. You know, at the end of the day, the quarterback – you know, is the eyes and the ears and everything that has to do with what the team is on offense. And it starts there. And when you don't have a running base, a running attack to cater that, there is a lot of pressure on you at that position. Um, you know, but one, he's going to be learning next to Drew, which is going to be huge. He's going to learn from Sean Payton as well, from the system, the offense. And I think that he puts himself in a position if he can just, you know, and he already he's already taken a shot on his ego because of the salary that he's uh, making this season. It's really, it's very minimal as far as what he's, there's almost like a, a GAing as a quarterback this year. Uh, but I think that, you know, he's got a chance to put himself in a position. And I think, you know, if he goes about it the right way and improves the right way, this could be a huge step for him, even though he may, he may not get the reps that, you know, he wants unless there is an injury. So I believe that he can bounce back. But as of right now, I don't see a lot of desire for teams you know, wanting him, even though he came off such a good season. I knew heading into free agency that there wasn't going to be a lot of teams that were going to jump on him just because uh, there's just so much uh, head-shaking uh, things that you get with him where you feel like there's so many pros, but those head-shaking things and those decision-making uh, situations were just, you know, kind of catastrophic to this football team, among other things that happened in 2019. Yeah, I'm hoping that I mean, I'm hoping this is the scenario for him again as being a, a fanboy, you know, huge and not ashamed to admit it. I mean, he's in my bio before my daughter is. So, I mean, whatever. But, um, you know, hoping that he can learn behind Drew, hoping that, you know, 
take some of that pressure off of him. And then, I mean, if, if Drew hangs it up next year or the year after, he's probably the guy that New Orleans turns to because he knows the system, you know. And so if he can pull it together, you know, that's that's my hope as well. So I just need you to give me some kind of positivity there so that these guys don't give me too much crap. Hey, you know, it's like one thing when your team moves on from a quarterback that you're in love with. It's another thing when your team moves on from a quarterback you're in love with and then brings in the greatest quarterback to ever live, you know, because, right. you know, it's, you know, so anyway, Richie, I know you're going to take it a different direction, but I'm with you, man. I yeah. <laughs> so having a former NFL player who played for the Bucks, we had to go there, but, you know, we are a college football podcast focusing on Florida State. So I know you mentioned you've gone, you've been to Tallahassee to cover a few yes. games th- throughout the years. Um, we don't need to rehash everything that's gone wrong because Lord knows all our fans know these past few years have been a disaster leading to the tail end of Jimbo's era. But what is the national perception of Florida State right now under Mike Norvell and seeing what he did at Memphis and being the next group of five coach to kind of test the waters in the power five major program? And, you know, do you how do you see that working out uh, in the early goings for Florida State at least? Well, I think the perception is he's walked into a hot mess. I mean, that's kind of where the school has been. And it's disappointing because you see the caliber of athletes. I mean, I've studied these guys. I know where these guys were rated coming out of high school. And uh, it just boggles my mind that they cannot get this thing together for the last, you know, since Jimbo left. And mm-hmm. and w- for whatever reason, how it went wrong and, and some of the fires that you know, Willie Taggart, and I love Willie. Willie's a, a friend of mine. He had to put out a lot of fires behind closed scenes that a lot of people, you know, didn't have to see, didn't want to know about. And and this is a win-loss business, right? And that's really what it comes down to. I will say this. I I, I am a huge Norvell guy. Uh, I've known Mike for a long time. Uh, You know, I have a a personal relationship with him. I was really excited. I thought that he was the top uh, coach out there available to take this program uh, at least offensively to the next level. You know, defense has always been pretty good. They're always going to lean on guys and always have strategic players at each level. But when they put it together, clearly one of the, they can be one of the most athletic and talented. But from an offensive standpoint, I just feel like, you know, there was, there's been so much inconsistency. There's been, you know, several – how many – four offensive changes the last four years. You know, yeah. multiple coordinators under, you know, the similar coaching staff. Quarterback play has not been up to par. Uh, you finally get someone, a kid that come, can come bouncing back to another season, but yet he's entering it like a freshman because he has to understand a new offensive system. Uh, Mike Norvell will utilize his weapons that are there. If, if there's a guy that can help him, uh, he'll tweak and do what he has to to make sure that player gets the ball and they can be a factor. I think we all know it, it comes to the guys up front. The offensive line has been a travesty. Uh, since I can remember, at least since Jimbo's left. And part of that's Jimbo's fault. There's no question about that. You know, uh, some highly talented kids have been have been brought in that have not panned out. And for whatever reason, they just cannot get it across the board. And, and, and they went through a tremendous amount of injuries some seasons, and they went through some ups and downs, multiple starters every game. I mean, that's a tough deal uh, to, defend, to, to cater with, you know, when you're going through a process and you got a guy like Cam Akers last year or the last couple of years and some of these playmakers that were available to them. So, you know, t- Terry's a guy that obviously is going to be a feature player in this offense. You know, he's going to find ways to get him the ball more than ever uh, down the field. We all get that. That's going to be a big part. That's, that's where it starts. 
but just just find ways to get the balls to the playmakers and the offensive line has to be better. I think they've actually had good coaches that have come through, but for some reason have not been able to break through and get these guys playing at a level. And I, I'm not quite sure what that is. It, it can't be a scheme thing. I, I really see poor fundamentals when I watch and study the team. I, for whatever reason, they're getting taught the right thing, but it's not clicking over. And you, you, you may be able to put that to, you know, the, the lack of hours they get or the time that's spent, but that really has to be honed in because if it doesn't happen up front, this team's got no shot. doesn't matter how many times you try to throw the ball to Terry. If Blackman's got somebody right down in his throat, you know, it's like a coin flip where that ball's going to go. So hopefully they can clean that up. They got a couple guys back, a couple young players that, you know, I'm expecting to take huge leaps like Lucas in his sophomore season. So we'll see how it shakes out. But offensively, it should be better. It's just a question of, you know, what, it, what it, will it look like compared to years past? Florida State um, is going to be, I would say, the more talented team. Uh, um, every game they play this year, with the exception of Clemson, Notre Dame, and then I think Miami's kind of a coin flip. Uh, but I think they have more talent on the roster than any other team on the uh, on the schedule than you know maybe those three. Uh, How, you know, how confident are you, you know, Bell, just in general, with, with everything that's gone on with the pandemic, can't get guys on campus, uh, weird offseason, you know, that this is probably the worst season in, in history to take over a, a top 15, 20 program all time, just from the recruiting aspect and everything else that's gone the coach. It was their previous the, kind of the 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 things they've gone on with Taggart and Jimbo at the end of their years and stuff. But how confident are you in in Norvell long term to kind of get Florida State turned around and, and go back to being an elite program? I think he's the best guy for the job. I think they have to stick with him. Uh, is there going to be immediate return? I, I think in a in a in a full term season where they had spring ball, it sucks to be a new coach at a new place right now, regardless whether it's Norvell or whoever's out there because you just don't have the time. I mean, these kids have to be taught a certain way of doing things. And the only way to really get that done is through experience and on the field and going through those reps time after time after time and seeing the mistakes that happen time after time after time. And that's how you get better. That's how football players improve. Now you have a little catch up time. If you're an NFL team, that's different when you have new kids, but when you're talking about college and you're talking about new systems and another new system, I mean, these kids got to be spinning. I expect them to simplify a lot this year. You know, I, I expect to see a lot of duplication of plays, things to make it simple. You know, you don't want to bag it, bog, bog it down, excuse me, uh, your offensive playbook. He's not going to be able to get into chapter, you know, maybe 12 through 15 of, of a book of 15 chapters. It's just not, it's not, it doesn't make sense. You know, if, and that's, I think, where the difference is for him. He's going to be a guy that is real about the situation. And if you go in there and throw the book and say, let's get it all in, I think you're making a big mistake because I don't know if that's the route to go with to have a long-term success, you know, that you're talking about. So uh, I, I definitely, you know, it's always hard to gauge, you know, and it's nothing's ever guaranteed for a coach where he was before and had the success where he was before when you take a big leap. I mean, Memphis has been phenomenal the last couple of years, but Memphis is in the American Conference. So you can only really go off the teams they played non-conference. Hell, hell of a win against Ole Miss. 
You know, they, they've played some teams, bowl game wins. So can you do that now where everybody knows what to expect and knows you week in and week out and you're a part of their, their yearly uh, film study? And, and teams are going to, you know, they're going to get locked in with that. But nobody wants to be the team that loses to a Florida State or, you know, gives that one away on their schedule, even though – because they know they're super talented. They know they have those guys. And when it clicks, it could be fun to watch. And I, we need Florida State – to be better. You guys need to have college football needs Florida State to be a bigger part of, of of the mix, especially in the ACC, because there's a huge separation and it's not just Clemson anymore. And you're talking about several teams, I believe three straight now Miami's beat them uh, in games, if I'm not mistaken. So just in the state alone, you got to have that type of relevancy uh, because, you know, recruiting is going to be the key. And it's there's a fine line. I mean, you know, I see there's a lot of athletes here, and they got a lot of choices. And, you know, Florida State, which once once on top of a lot of people's charts, you know, I was there when they didn't have a very full stadium towards the end of uh, of uh, last year, and it just wasn't the, what I recognized. It just it wasn't the same. So that, that all has to come back, and that unfortunately comes back with wins. And hopefully the, the fan base, obviously not this year, but moving forward, sees that so that they can build that advantage they once had at home. Yeah, it's a chicken or the egg thing, right? Do we do we get wins and that's what brings better recruits in and the fan support or can we get the fan support and recruit like it's you know, I'm totally there with you. So hopefully we can blame the pandemic for the fan support and still win games this year <laughs> and we can get them all both back in 2021 because I miss it too. I know these other guys do as well. No doubt. Yeah, heading into the year, I think um our defense with a lot of guys coming back. I think they're going to have to carry the team, especially with us having our O-line issues over the past few years. And you know that with a struggling offensive line, one of the biggest things you have to do early is develop a running game. And we lost a, a horse to the NFL, Cam Akers. Um, heading into the year, we may have to go by the running back by committee approach. Is that something that worries you? Because last year when we had our struggles offensively, he kind of bailed us out whenever we needed a play. Yeah, you're right. I mean, and everybody knew he was getting the ball. You know, that that was the the, the mind-blowing thing. I mean, he, he really had a strong year. I was praying he'd come back. But I obviously get it that, you know, going to the league was his best option. I think he's going to be successful. Uh, yeah, you know, let's see. I mean, Corbin's a kid. I believe he's a transfer that came in. Um, you know, they got a, a couple other guys, uh, LeBourne, I believe, uh, on the depth chart. Someone's going to step up. I mean, you know, there's too many athletes, Freddie. You know this. I mean, they got guys that are going to show out and, mm -hmm. and, and, and the cream will rise to the top. And you're right. The defense will have to hold it down. You know, I love, you know, players like Nigel Dean and Wilson. Uh, those are, you know, those are premier talented guys that, that can really control uh, their their area of the fields, and I'm excited to see those guys and some of the new talent, you know, and how they get coached up and how they'll play. But you're right, I can't put it all in the quarterback's hand. I mean, if Blackman is the star, it looks like he's probably going to be end up being the starter just because of you know the lack of experience. You got to find ways to take pressure off him, and that offensive line has to create openings for the, whoever running back is back there. So uh, that'll be huge if they can if they can get a running game. And I tell you now, that's something that. Memphis put up a ton of yards. They, they ran the football now. They know how to run the football. Their scheme is good. And uh, if they get those guys, I'll tell you, these linemen, okay, that are at Florida State are much more talented 
than the the Memphis guys ever had. But the Memphis guys were tough. They were nasty, and they understood how to be coached, and they did their jobs correctly. And that's going to be the difference. A lot of talent. Just have to you know, just have to go out there and kind of uh, you know take a little bit of take a little hit of pride. Everybody, you know, these these highly talented kids come in sometimes, and they just can't take the coaching part because they they've been so good and dominant where they've come from from the high school ranks, and everybody patting them on the back and all the stars and and the videos that are out at them. It's just a different game when you come in. It doesn't transfer well all the time. You know, when you're 6'6", 300 pounds in high school, you dominate. When you come in, everybody's that big. So you got to find ways to get better. So these kids have to be accountable uh, and improve themselves. And unfortunately, we talked about the offseason not having that. So we'll see how it shakes out. I think they have a shot. I think, you know, like you said, the athletes are there, but they have to, you know, put that thing together and, and do it early because, you know, Georgia Tech is, even though they don't win a lot of games, uh, you know, they're well coached. You know, uh, Jeff Collins is a good coach, man. I know him well as he'll have those kids. They've changed it and tweaked it, and then they'll have some players. And then, you know, you have a little warm-up game with Sanford, and then you have the, 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 the Miami game before the open week, and then Notre Dame rolls. So I think that'll be big uh, to kind of get off to a really good start. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, man, I really appreciate you – Hanging out with us, We've been going for about thirty-five minutes. Phone is in the works. But thank you so much for coming hanging out with us. No problem. It's been a pleasure. Wish you guys a ton of luck uh, with the podcast. I'm going to check it out from time to time. And, uh, you know, uh, have a great year. Hopefully, you know, we can make it through the season and have football all the way through. It would be great if we could do that. I got my fingers crossed. But, uh, you know, uh, we'll see how it goes. But I appreciate you all having me on. Sir, we appreciate you for coming. Appreciate you, Anthony. See you guys. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Anthony Becht, um, most notably from the uh, Jets and Bucks. Covers the NCAA. Good get, man. Freddie, that's a good get from you, man. You yeah. you got Anthony on here. Again, these are all going to be end up being Freddie's connections that uh, that we get on the show. But uh, good get. Had some good things to say about his time in Tampa. Um, you know, Brady in Tampa, Jameis in New Orleans, and then and then most importantly, cover for the state. And, uh, you know, what strikes me we'll give some is the more and more national guys that we get on the show um, believe in Mike Norvell, right? We had Barrett Salee on, believed in Mike Norvell. We had Andy Staples on, believes in Mike Norvell. We now had Anthony Becht on, a guy that calls uh, Florida State games, believes in Mike Norvell. You just didn't see this support uh, when Taggart was the coach and – uh or this belief, maybe supports probably not the right word, but you didn't see this belief from the, from the national media. And so, you know, I'm, I'm like most Florida state fans. I'm very much in wait and see mode. I try not to get my hopes up again. Like I did with Taggart when I was out there dancing on the field at the spring game at the salt and pepper concert. Like I was lit and ready to go, man. But uh, I appreciate the belief that the national guys have in Mike Norvell 
and I'm willing to be patient because uh, I do think he's the right guy for the job. And again, the more and more people that we have on end up saying that. So any major takeaways from, uh, from Anthony's interview from either one of you guys um, other than that, or echoing that. Yeah. Just uh, kind of piggyback off what you said a little bit. I think the big difference with Willie was that we didn't really know there was a lot of hope because uh, he turned Western Kentucky around he was doing really good, had a great season at USF, but it would have been nice to see what happened the next year without Quentin Flowers. Maybe let's see, uh, could he continue to grow that program? Because he never really got to reach his potential only one year at Oregon. So again, nobody really knew. So I, I still think, I'm not going to change what I said. At the time, I thought it was a good hire. I was on board with it. But it is different from a Norvell who spent four years, took over an established program, but took it to the next level um, and sustained throughout his time there. So I think that's why the national guys are pretty high on him. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I thought Anthony was great. Good to get some great insight on Brady and the Bucks uh, from a former player who played in Brady's division for many years and played with Tampa Bay. I thought he was great. So like uh, TJ said, Freddie, great job getting him. Yeah, he, he definitely has some great insight. I, lo I love to hear from his analysis. I can see why he's on working for ESPN right now. That was a deep analysis on some of those questions, but um, yeah, I think the one that shocked me was when he broke down the deal with Willie, I guess, about him putting out some fires behind the scenes that guys didn't really know about. I didn't really know that, but that, that's interesting. But at the end of the day, like he said, it comes down to wins and losses. Yeah, no, absolutely so. And so I'm, I'm confident. You know, we're only, what, three weeks away from the season. Like it's not, it's not far off. Days. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it's coming soon and we'll kind of get more into the team and stuff as it goes. Um, Want to take our quick moment and then we'll get kind of to the second half of our show. Um, we had a giveaway. We had a giveaway on Instagram um, and I have the info for that here. I had to download this app for, to pick a random Instagram winner um, and I have that now. Um, and I just followed back on Instagram. Sorry, I'm not very good at this. Uh, Lizzie Pluta, L-I-Z-Z-Y-P-L-U-T-A, won our Instagram giveaway uh, for the $50 gift card to the um, kind of the retro FSU stuff, the um, vintage FSU stuff, um, the giveaway we did with junk man doug go follow junk man doug go follow double prize pod on instagram lizzie i will dm you and shoot that your way um we are up to just under 300 followers on instagram so that's kind of fun go follow instagram facebook twitter youtube twitch all of the platforms it's just double fries no slaw or double fries pod either one of those that you search they will come up and then if you're watching this Hit the like button, hit the share button, hit the retweet button. Put that in your groups, put that in your group text messages, your group DMs, your Facebook groups, whatever you're doing, go ahead and throw that stuff in there. Hit the like button. I see we're on eight likes right now. That's not enough. Hit like, hit follow, hit everything that's got going on. Let's get it going. Get out of here. Uh, we are going to put stuff to Twitch. So if you're watching this on Facebook, Periscope, YouTube, go check out our Twitch. It's just twitch.com, search double fries, no slaw, search double fries pod, and it'll come up. 
go check out what we got going on on Twitch. There's a lot of really cool options that we can do. If you have a um, Amazon Prime account, you can get our Twitch for nothing, um, and you can subscribe there. Uh, really cool little platform. We've got more coming down the pike. Shout out my guy Harlan for helping me out with that. Shout out uh, Ed for helping out with social media. Brian for graphics. If you need any graphics, go find a behalf for on Twitter. Um, that said, I'll shut up. Richie, talk about what, what's going on in Florida State land, man. We've had Anthony on here for a little while. We've been on for a bit. Go ahead and tell us what's going on in Florida State world. Yeah, so I, I guess we'll start with the news that came right after we recorded last week. Um, I, we had a couple injuries, guys. UCLA grad chance for tight end Jordan Wilson. Um, he's going to miss the whole year, and that's kind of a big blow. You know, he's a guy Mike Nordfell identified. He saw a need at tight end, brought him in. Uh, it sounds like he didn't even get hurt in the scrimmage last week. It might have been beforehand, but it looks like an Achilles injury or lower leg is what Florida State came out with. He's going to pursue a sixth year of eligibility, and I think with everything going on, he's going to have no problem getting that. And then Chubba Purdy, you know, someone who a lot of our listeners were really high on, including myself. You know, we thought he might be able to push for the starting job, and he goes down and breaks his collarbone. We talked last week about how Mike Norvell had the freshman live in the scrimmage, and he's going to miss four to six weeks. So I think that pretty much locks it up for Blackman to start against Georgia Tech. I think that was the most likely outcome regardless. Um, Jordan Wilson might be the bigger injury just because, again, Mike Norvell loves the tight ends. He brings them in, you know, especially with this offensive line. We just talked about it. He's an extra blocker. He's a massive human being. I don't know if you guys have seen the pictures of him from camp, but what are your thoughts on those two injuries? Do you guys agree? Is Wilson the bigger one or is Purdy? You know, that's a blow, obviously. Uh, where's your thoughts on those two injuries, guys? Um, I think um, right now, as far as coming in and in making an impact today, um, Wilson is a bigger one. Purdy, I think he would have became a factor maybe later on in the year. I don't believe – I'm not sure if he was ready yet. I think Blackman was going to start the year off, but Wilson, he was going to be a guy that made an impact from day one. So that's definitely a big hit. We needed some tight end depth. So losing him is major for our team. We're going to need somebody to step up in that role, and some guys may get moved around to kind of compensate for that. Yeah, I feel like Purdy's only a big loss if Blackman really, really struggles or if – he gets hurt, right? You know, Purdy probably wasn't starting this early um, anyway. Uh, and while I don't want a guy to get hurt if if he's not a starter and, and probably not playing much anyway, um, it probably doesn't hurt you as much. Um, the tight ends hurt hurting for sure. You know, that's the tight. That's a, like Fred, like Richie said. That's a tight end. That's a position that the tight end that Norvell likes a lot. And so that's, that's a struggle, but hopefully Purdy, I mean, Purdy is not out for the year. And so hopefully Purdy can come back and, and be that backup, be that depth if needed. It, it hurts that he's not getting these reps now, but you know, both unfortunate. You don't want to see him hurt. It's frustrating that they guys are, but I'm wishing the, 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 the quickest recovery possible. Yeah, man. And so for the, the people watching live last night being Saturday, Florida State had their second scrimmage of, uh, of fall camp in, under the lights in Dope Campbell Stadium. And it sounded like it was very similar to last week. It sounds like the defense really dominated the day. 
you know, afterwards, our defense coordinator, uh, Coach Fuller, he, he talked about how he wants to be extremely offensive on the defensive side of the ball. You know, he's a very aggressive play caller. And one name just keeps coming out more and more. It's it's Travis J. Um, uh, you know, he, he's getting interceptions, seemingly making plays almost every scrimmage at this point. Sounded like the offense had some flashes. You know, uh, Kenny Dillingham made a comment that they'd get a 20-yard gain and then the very next play lose seven yards. So uh, the way he sees it, they're at second and 17. They just negated the big play. Sounds like a lot of that going on, which is kind of where we expect things to be, the defense ahead of the offense. I think if there's one silver lining we kind of mentioned our defensive line is going to be really good. And I think the defense as a whole has a chance to be a really good unit. So it's the coaches. Now they're trying to struggle. They know the defense is outmanning the offense. So Freddie, what, what does the coach do in that situation? I know you guys were very competitive on both sides of the ball when you were there, but when one side's just dominating a scrimmage consistently or practice on a regular basis, what can the coaches do to step in and get the other side to, to kind of pick it up a little bit? I mean, even when we played against those dominant defenses, we were able to make plays. Um, sometimes they were just better than us on that play, but it was never an issue with them just dominating us every play. So I think that just goes to show guys have to take a sense of urgency towards things and be more detailed in their approach on um, every play. Um, you can't just get comfortable and get complacent after having a successful play. And then 20 yards, one play, then seven yards back, it happens. But to be back and forth the entire game, that just shows guys aren't being detailed. Um, of course, we can grow from here, but guys have to be detailed in their approach, studying film, knowing what your opponent's going to do. We have to take those things seriously. It's the small things that's, that are going to make us successful. Yeah, and I think, you know, it sounds cliche because you always hear, you know, players, no matter what position they play, they always say, oh, I'm going up against the best people I'm going to see all season and practice every day. That's not always the case, but... If you go player for player on that starting 11 for the defense, I mean, individually, they're all, they were all blue chip recruits coming out of high school. They're all really good players. So you can actually say that. So maybe Marvin Wilson eating your lunch every day at practice won't be such a bad thing when the games come because you're not going to find many teams that can compete with Florida State's talent, especially in that front seven, especially with Pitt and Miami losing key pieces to their defenses. Maybe Clemson's the only defense that you like individually. So how much does that help, Freddie, as a former player, knowing you're going up against someone like, a, I don't know, a Telvin Smith every day, who you know he's going to be better than anyone you play. So that gives you that confidence on game days. Yeah, without a doubt, it's going, it's going to help with the confidence. I think the year we lost to Clemson over in Death Valley, their offensive line was horrible. But they had one of the top defensive line in the country. So they had to go up against these guys every day. And then you saw on film as the year went on, they started getting better. So that's all our guys are going to have to do. They're going to get tired of getting beat at practice. They're going to start honing in on the techniques. And eventually it's an iron, sharpens iron situation. Those guys are going to start developing. And then when we play other teams, it's going to feel easy out there because you're playing the best every day. We got some dogs. We got Marvin Wilson. We got guys that like that that could have went first round last year decided to come back. You're playing against guys like that every single day. You have no choice but to get better. Yeah, and it sounds like, you know, Norvell and Coach Atkins, they're doing their best with the offensive line. They know they, they're they working with what they have. But what I found kind of surprising, you know, Coach Norvell and Atkins both mentioned two true freshmen this week and Thomas Schrader and Robert Scott as guys that are really stepping up. So, I, you know, it's, it's a little worrisome that you have a true freshman that's been on campus for a few weeks already really pushing these guys. But ultimately, we go back to, you know, Andy Staples, our first episode. He commented, 
that 2011 Notre Dame bowl game where we started four true freshmen on the offensive line and that led to that national championship. So, you know, I think he's trying to do the best he can of balancing winning now while also grooming at this unit for the future. So, so it'll be interesting to see how that works out defensively. It sounds like Fabian Lovett's really impressing. He, um, full Adam Fuller was asked uh, what his thoughts on him adding depth and Fuller said, no, he's not depth. He's someone who's going to contribute right away. So it's good to see that that was a huge uh, pickup in the off season. I think that's going to be really helpful, especially next year when you lose all these guys potentially. And we talked about it last week, special teams continues to be a focus. And I want both your guys thoughts on this because we haven't had a, a strong leg in a while, but Alex Mastromano, it sounds like he's just booting the ball. Um, Jeff Cameron had a beautiful tweet this week. He, I believe he said something along the lines, our punter is having none of your bullshit, sir. So he, he's impressing everybody right now. Um, I'm excited to see the, see him punting, but again, special teams focus again, TJ, you know, we've struggled with special teams as fans for a while. So it's, it's gotta be refreshing that it wasn't just the first week he mentioned special teams. It seems to be a daily recurrence at this point with the staff. Yeah, the biggest game in Florida State history in the last 20 years was the national championship, and it had two of the biggest special teams players that Florida State fans can remember ever, right? The fake punt and the uh, kick return I, that I tweeted today uh, from Kermit, you know, and those were two of the biggest plays of the entire game, you know, and so special teams were a focus for Jimbo. They at, at one point, you know, and, and they were big there. What do you think about the returners that we had with Greg Reed? And, um, heck, we even had Jalen back there returning kicks at one yeah. point. You know, like we put our athletes back there, and special teams were just a focus. You remember Aguayo that, that year that we won it all, missed one kick, and then he was nearly automatic again that next year, won the Groza his first year. Um, that special team focus is is got to be there, you know, because there's nothing worse than being better than a team – like a Georgia Tech or like a North Carolina, having more talent on both sides of the ball and then losing the game because of special teams, losing the game because you can't make kicks or because you give up long kick returns or because you get a pump blocked or anything else. That's how you let teams that aren't as good as you beat you. And so the focus on special teams is massive. And so it's it's encouraging to hear that that focus is there and that some of the players and some of the plays that have been made have been positive in that because it truly is like – you know, you, you you may not win a ton of games through special teams. I mean, you will win some, but you can certainly lose a lot of games through special teams because they're splash plays, you know, and mm-hmm. you give up a 60-yard punt return for a touchdown, that team doesn't have to drive down on you. A team that you're shutting out and beating bad. So, yeah, the, the focus on special teams is massive to me from a, from a fan perspective. I know Freddie played on special teams. I know he's got some thoughts too, but just from a, from a you know, unathletic white guy that watches the game – they're big to me too. So, <laughs> yeah, I think I think special teams, um, great teams, great players, they take pride in special teams. When you go back and look to our, look at our successful teams, you got our best players on special teams. A lot of guys will look at it like, why? Why do we have? To, they wanted to be on there. They'll be pissed that they weren't on the depth chart. And I think special teams is an opportunity. A lot of people overlook it, but from the first snap of the game, it's an opportunity to enforce your will on the other team. So first play of the game, they're coming down. You got all these headhunters on kickoff, and that's why we want them on there. So the team knows from the first snap, you don't want to play with us. You, you don't want any problems. You don't want no smoke from the first snap of the game. So making sure our dogs, y'all take pride in that because 
from the first snap, they better know Florida, Florida State, we ain't coming to play. It's not Florida State from the past three years, we coming. And the guys got to take pride in that and know that even though most of you may not think it's sexy or whatever it is, it wins you games. And in big games, when you're playing against other elite teams, the smallest thing can be the difference between winning and losing. And it often, oftentimes comes down to special teams. Yeah, and there was a, a couple cool things happening off the field. But just, Freddie, want to get your thoughts on this. You know, we have one full week of practice this week. Then next week's the final, uh, you know, practice before game week. Is, is this the week where the depth chart really starts shaking out as far as the coaches are concerned? Because they got to figure out who they're going to line up with against Georgia Tech. So I think any spots up for grab this week could be huge for them. So uh, what week was it really uh, in preseason under Jimbo when he really looked and said, hey, guys, now's your chance. You're either going to you're going to either redshirt or you're going to have a chance to contribute or you want the starting job. This is the week you got to prove it. Yeah, without a doubt that the second scrimmage shows a lot and now a week after the second scrimmage, that's where everything is said. They'll still give some guys, it may be a little bit close, they'll give them an opportunity. But for the most part, they know which guys they're rolling with, and then they may give a, a, another guy an opportunity to shine and get himself an opportunity to get some reps. But if you haven't proved it by this next week, then it's going to be hard It's, it's going to be hard for you because they're rolling with the guys that have showed them that they're going to perform under the lights. These scrimmages, they were your opportunity to perform and then this next week, you got to approach it like it's another scrimmage because this whole entire week is the final evaluation. Y'all got to approach it as that. There's no pressure because in times like these, great players, they're going to make plays. So don't think of it as pressure. You've been doing this your whole life, but just know approach it as business this week. You earn your spot. Yeah, and I, I think this year is going to be unique more than ever because even if you're third, fourth team, it only takes uh, one person getting coronavirus and having to sit out for 10 days or so before, you know, the true freshman may have to step in and start a game somewhere. So I think this season is going to be interesting to see which coaches, you know, uh, teams with established culture like a Clemson or Alabama or Georgia, I think they'll be okay. But these first year coaches, they got to get these guys prepared because uh, typically you may not be worried about what your, you know, third string quarterback is doing, but this year, you could be starting four or five walk-ons at any given time. So, so TJ, what do you think about that, man? Just with everything going on, we, we see in the, you know, hopefully we'll get to play this season, but again, everybody has to be ready and it can't be easy to go to practice when your third string getting reps in the scout team. And then you get called up next week. So it, it'll be interesting, man. Yeah. We always used to say uh, next man up mentality, right? I, I remember them saying that in 2013, and then 2013, we had the most ridiculous injury luck. Nobody no got, one hurt. got hurt. Like it was just like, yeah, it was easy to say next man up when you're playing with 22 NFL starters coming, you know, on the field at any time. Um, but it truly is next man up this year, right? Like you've got to be ready to go. You've got to be ready to step in. You're seeing a lot of guys in the NFL that get that are getting hurt. McCoy got hurt the other day. The other day, uh, you've seen a lot of injuries in the NFL because the offseason has been weird. Guys' bodies aren't uh, in the normal kind of routine that they've been in forever. And so I really wouldn't be too shocked with that happening in college too. And I hope it doesn't happen to our team. I mean, I hope it doesn't happen to anybody. I don't, I don't, I don't want anybody hurt. Trevor Lawrence sprains ankle before the game. I wouldn't be upset about it. But on the surface, I don't want anybody getting hurt. You know, like I want to, I want to play people at full strength. I want people to be a full so. It truly does have to be that next man up mentality. And I know we said that when we were really, really good and we had our backups were 
as good or better than our starters now, you know, like it's easy to say it then, but now it comes down to have we prepared? Are we really ready? And guys have to be ready because they will be called on, whether that's Purdy or Travis or just anybody. Like they've got to be ready to go from the top spot on the roster to the bottom. You know, guys have to be ready. This is a weird year. Um, and we've we've detailed how weird of a year this is. So they've got to be kind of set and ready to go. Yeah, and then um, it looks like uh, we've had a pretty tumultuous offseason with the whole Marvin Wilson thing, um, at Warren Thompson last week, just the whole pandemic itself. So it looks like, you know, I woke up, I forget what day it was, in the morning and saw a bunch of tweets from Florida State players, just people retweeting it and liking stuff on my timeline. And I first thought is what are all these players doing on my timeline? Cause it has not been good when it, that's been the case lately, but they were all like very happy praising what happened. And at the time we didn't know coach Norvell comes out the next day, says he took them on a retreat up to a plantation in Southern Georgia. They did some skeet shooting. They did some fishing. They broke into position groups and, and did campfires, just talking, getting to know each other out in nature. And it sounds cheesy, but anyone who's ever been camping or a campfire out there, I mean, you learn stuff about your best friends that you've, Never would have known. So, Freddie, I'm really interested to get your input on this. Did you guys do anything like that? I know you all do some sort of team building, but, you know, going off, getting away, kind of isolated from everything else. And what do you think your thoughts would have been? How much you would have enjoyed just getting away from, again, all the distractions of being just with your brothers out there in nature and just having a good time away from football? Because you guys, football players need that, too. They, that's, they do that every day, every week. They need some time away with with their uh, with their family, which a football team is. Yeah, I think we would always do that once we um, got close to the end of camp. But the fact that they're doing it during camp, especially with all we have going on, the whole COVID deal and just everything, like you said, we had going on during this offseason. Camp on his own is just hell. Like, guys, are, they're away from their family. They're doing the same thing over and over every day. They're there from 6 in the morning until 9.30 at night. So that that can take a toll on freshmen. They're not even used to that. So um, I, think it's, I think it's good for the guys and just getting out there, getting away from ball for a little bit. And the biggest thing to me is I, I saw something about them hearing other guys' stories. That was, that was major because yeah. – um, sometimes guys will get caught up and they'll lose sight of everything with everything going on. Then knowing the guy next to you, he has he has things that he's fighting for, he's struggling too. And so now you got another reason to fight. You can't let the man next to you down. If if your reason isn't big enough, then the man next to you gotta fight for him. So I think it was a great, great opportunity to get the guys away and just to help those guys bond. I think it's gonna really help us out in the long run. Yeah, and the, the next night, Norvell bringing to the big guns, my favorite Seminole of all time. He had work done to come talk to the team. Um, uh, you know, I'm not sure exactly what was told. On, I, I know some specifics. He did mention how he came in as a freshman, and it, he really leaned on Charlie Ward because that was a senior leader for him, and he credited Charlie for a lot of what he did. And obviously he told his story about and if you don't know work done story, you know, get his book running for my life. A, a amazing story about how, you know, his mom was a police officer in Baton Rouge. She was killed on a traffic stop. He kind of raised all his younger brothers and sisters still came to Tallahassee. I mean, what he's doing now with the single moms putting down payments. So just, I can only imagine that, you know, I've 
been lucky enough to hear him speak and meet him a few times. But work done, uh, you know, getting him, I think he's one of the perfect guys to get in front of these players. Obviously, TJ, you've been a big work done fan too. I mean, how cool would that be for a player to see someone who came ahead, came before you, they won a national title, you know, it, but they're not just, their accolades aren't just on the football field. He's proven, you know, NFL man of the year. He's what Coach Norvell wants all of these kids to be. Yeah, I was talking with – um I did an interview with Bucks Report on Thursday night, and it was right after the the info of that had come out. Um, and I said that Warg Dunn is probably one of the greatest Seminoles to ever live, one of the greatest Buccaneers to ever live, and it has absolutely nothing to do with what he done on the field. Um, um, one of the leading Bucks rushers of all time, he was a leading FSU rusher until Dalvin broke it, national champion, um, high draft pick. None of that even matters. He is the greatest buck and the greatest Seminole to ever live. And again, it has nothing to do with what he's done on the field. And he was amazing on the field, right? Like we don't beat UF in 93 without him. You know, he was great. Um, But, you know, just absolutely so cool. I was in, uh, if you guys remember in, I think it was 2016, 2017, uh, the Dave Bowden documentary came out um, and, and was, showing in select theaters and stuff. I went to my mom's church, which is Isle here in Tampa. And, um, and um, Deshaun Watson was there and they awarded Deshaun Watson, some kind of award. And they told a story how work done. One of the homes that work done provided for a family. Watson's home. And you think about this guy went on to, to win titles and now be a starting quarterback in the NFL and probably wouldn't have gotten that opportunity if it were not for work done. And then you kind of think about him beating the heck out of Florida State, and you're like, man, he couldn't have done that. But now, you know, so cool to know that, like, Dunn's legacy and what he has done ends up impacting. And then how many people can now Deshaun Watson bless and Deshaun Watson can now impact, right, forever? And so, yeah, work Dunn's the greatest – Again, probably the greatest Seminole to ever live, and it has nothing to do with with anything he did wearing a jersey. Uh, Freddie, I want to ask you, that had to be so impactful for those players that, that got to hear from work done. I know Jimbo brought a lot of people in um, to, to talk to the team. Who was somebody that really, really stuck out to you that Jimbo brought in? Uh, former player, former non-player, like they didn't have to play at FSU. Who was somebody really, really impactful that you guys had kind of brought in in that situation um that you remember um i must touch on work done he actually we actually had him come by just to run, he came back to the running backs room and he was talking to us and kind of going over everything with us on his own time like he saw us in the meeting room just meeting and he just walked in he was like guys if because i think we were struggling with our stretch zone that whole year guys were just on the stretch play, guys will get cut back happy. He's like, listen, if you guys cut that stretch play back early again, he's like, I'm going, I'm going to lose it. I'm going to fucking lose it. And <laughs> he was just going over it with us. He was hella detailed. And the fact that he came in there was just explaining it to us. And he didn't have to. I think he had something else to do, but he just stopped in. And he was giving us some free game out of his – like, he didn't even have to do it. And so the rest of that year, I think Freeman was killing it, putting up crazy numbers. But um, if I have to say the craziest, I would I say when Ronnie, we had Ronnie Lott come there. Yeah. Ronnie Lott came and talked to the team. 
And it was a situation. Ronnie Lott's intense. Ronnie Lott had people scared to answer questions. Like he was, he um, you know, he had the whole deal with anger and stuff. And he asked a question. He was um, he was like, guys, would you rather make a hundred million in your career, win the Super Bowl ring, and go to the Hall of Fame? So <laughs> one guy he stood up and he was like, um, yeah, I go, I'd rather go to the win the Super Bowl ring. Like man, sit your ass now. Like, cause Hall of Fame is like you had a good career, you probably made the money and everything, and then other guys are arguing with him, and then Ronnie Ronnie Lott just started snapping. Like, that's, that's bull. Like you got to want the rings, man. And so everything we, he would ask us, he would end up snapping on us, and we didn't really want to ask the questions. But it just showed <laughs> how everybody, like Jimbo, was laughing and everything too, because everybody was scared to ask the questions. But it just showed you how intense he was. And how much he put into this game, how much he loved the game. And I think I don't say I don't think it gotta be that like intense, but God's gotta like that mentality he had, like really like crazy. We gotta, yeah. we gotta have some guys that's out there trying to, you feel me? Like y'all gotta respect Florida State again. Some I wish some of the guys now could listen to him because that was a whole different like man, Randy Lot crazy, man. I don't know why coach brought him a hood. Yeah, I used to love watching the videos when uh, the Seminoles would put them out. They'd obviously never show the whole video of the guest speakers, but Jimbo, man, he had some great guys coming in. I remember watching one, I think it was Ray Rice, and he talked about just losing everything when one bad mistake. I don't know if you were on the team when when he came to speak that. But that one, uh, I didn't see the whole thing. I was in the room, but the video the school put out, to me, I thought I found that one really insightful because here's a guy, he was one of the best running backs in the league. He was an All-American at Rutgers. Then just one split-second poor decision, just he threw it all away. Um, so I think sending messages like that to young players who may not understand, I think that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, so any final thoughts on that, Freddie, before I jump on? We got some schedule news here to get to. Um, yeah, I think that one is crazy. When y'all asked me, I was over here trying to think through all the people. <laughs> but, yeah, the Ray Rice one was big on, I think, Chris Herring, Maurice Claret, those guys, their stories, uh, they, were, they were impactful on guys as well. But, yeah, Ray Rice's story – um, if you guys get in a situation with a with a woman, listen, man, just just walk away. That was mm. a split decision. If alcohol is involved, it's usually not going to turn out well. So just walk away, and we don't care what went on. And now he's paying for it, and he was at the top of his game. So the smallest thing, man, that split decision can mess up your whole entire career. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's maybe one of the coolest things. Uh, obviously, I never experienced it, but being a student athlete, because you see Clemson, Alabama, all these places do it, just bring these guys in to give their accounts of, you know, because they've walked in those shoes that these players are in already. They they have the wisdom. Some kids may not care about it. They'll tune out, but there's going to be a couple that something's going to stick with them. I think that's awesome, and, and I hope Coach Norvell continues to do that. Um, like I mentioned, yeah, that's this why, is, go ahead. I, mean, I, just, I got one more follow-up. And shout out Brandon Griffin. Brandon Griffin, I just got an email, went and got a t-shirt. I put the link in the comments for everybody. You can go get a double fries and no slot t-shirt. That wasn't what I was going to shout out, but shout out Brandon. Um, oh, man, I totally lost where I was going with that. But thanks, Brandon, for throwing me <laughs> off uh, off kilter there. Um, yeah, I, I totally lost it. So go ahead. Uh, we'll come back to you. Oh, um, no, no. Okay. Talk about walking a mile in there. We've had DeMarcus on. We've had Antonio Cromartie on. We've had different guys, even Kadarian Jones that, that was on. Freddie obviously can attest to it. James Coleman, uh, Chad, Lonnie, all these guys that have been on and been in these players' shoes and then ended up playing in the NFL. 
right? Like these guys are have been in the NFL, were in the NFL, and they've they've said like, hey guys, here's what's important, right? You can speak up about what's important, not important, but here's what you need to do to get to the league because the league doesn't necessarily care about like what's important, not important. Like it's what you need to do to get to the league, right? Like what you need to do to get paid. And so there's there's that fine balance. And so I hope that I hope that you know. I mean, obviously, I hope people are watching this, but I hope people are watching this. And if they if they can take something away from it, it is what those guys have shared. It's what these guys that have been there and reached the highest pinnacle and these guys that have been in the NFL and won titles at Florida State and won championships and beaten rivals and everything else. It's the takeaways from these guys because they've been there and they've lived it and they've done it. And so I think that's so massive that we can – I mean, I, I feel like a time I lost. We can provide that little perspective. Great, you know. And, and I hope these guys that we've had on here can um, really kind of show that more than just me or somebody else can say. So, all right, now Richie, go ahead. Yeah. So uh, obviously, um, last week we learned that Sanford, who uh, was uh, going to be Florida State's second game of the year, they decided their conference said they're not playing conference games. They can play out of conference if they wanted to. Makes no sense, really, if you're a football program to play two or three games. So Sanford let us know they are out, but we have a replacement. And as far as caliber opponent, that's roughly the same Jacksonville state, the Gamecocks. Hopefully it won't be as close as that 20 or 2009 battle when they came in a doke and nearly shocked us all. Um, but I think the bigger story here is when the game's being played. So they will no longer play in week two. So Florida state will now open with Georgia tech, have a bye week play Miami and then Jacksonville State comes to town before Notre Dame. So uh, the opponent doesn't really matter. But I think we had a little bit of a difference of opinion on this last time, guys. What's your thoughts on no longer having that game before Miami? And uh, now you lose your bye before Notre Dame. Uh, Freddie, let's go with you first, man. Uh, how do you think that works out in Florida State's favor? Is it? Would you have liked to see that extra warm-up game before Miami? Or what's going through your head here? Yeah, I just would have... Um... With some younger guys on the offensive side of the ball, I would have loved to see it before the Miami game. For the Notre Dame game, I don't know if we we really need it, to be honest. I think we needed that bye week. Um, but it is what it is. We gotta we gotta find a way to adjust, no excuses. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I feel like um the last year of, of Fisher and the two years of Tagger beat me into the eternal pessimist, but I'm gonna go optimist route here like i would have preferred the extra tune-up game uh, before miami but I, I do think the miami game is a massive massive game right the samford game at week two or the jacksonville state game in october is a win right it's a win yeah. and if it's not we got way bigger problems to talk about when it gets there um so i'll take the optimist route right like this is the hand we're dealt with scheduling and how hard it is to get teams on your schedule um, this is the hand we're dealt and it sucks to not have that extra tune up game. Um, but now it is 100% beat Georgia tech. And then you get 14 days to prepare. Well, 13 days to prepare for, for Miami. Right. And that game is huge. And so being able to prepare for the extra week for Miami, I actually want to ask Freddie about it. Freddie, when you have a big game before, I'm sorry, when you have a buy before a big game, how much different is it to be able to spend two weeks preparing? Or is it kind of is it is that is that aspect kind of overhyped? 
does it not really – I mean, tell us as a fan perspective or from the player perspective to fans, does that extra week of preparation for Miami, does that mean a lot? Like did you guys did you guys ever play Clemson off a of bye week or just whoever off a of bye week that was a really, really big game? Does that extra week of preparation mean anything or not really? I think in, on, later on in the season it, it means a lot because you get to see a lot of film. You get to watch a lot of film. Um, only playing one game – we won't really get to see much on Miami, so um, it's not it's not the same situation. But guys, guys are gonna be ready. We'll have a little opportunity to develop some guys more. But it's it's a lot different than having that bye week during the season. But we will be ready for that game. We're gonna be ready regardless whether or not we had a bye or not. It's Miami, but we're gonna have an opportunity to develop some guys and use that opportunity to do a further evaluation before that game. Yeah, yeah, I. I'm sorry. I was going to say my thought is, you know, we'll we'll get to during the bye week watch them against. They play Louisville first. Is that right, Richie? No, they um, open with UAB on the. Third they open with day, UAB and then at I Louisville. Think, I would think they're pretty vanilla, right? Against UAB, they should just be able to beat them on talent alone. I would hope for Miami's sake. Hopefully not. I mean, I hope UAB beats them, but we think they're pretty vanilla against UAB. We could kind of prepare for a little bit of what they do. I mean you know, kind of watch a little bit of what Lashley's done at other places. Um, but then, you know, spend that second week preparing. But, yeah, I'm kind of with you. I, I prefer that extra tune-up game. Um, but I'm just trying to be more positive this year. That's my 2020 resolution. So hoping that the extra week to prepare helps us out. Yeah, and I, this might sound like a joke, but it, it's honestly not. And, and Freddie, we're going to we're gonna lean on you here, man. you got the experience playing. But on that bye week – that's typically a big week for guys. A lot of them go home to see their families. A lot of them go out and spend time uh, at parties or the bars. They know they got the weekend off. We can't have that this year, man. So uh, you get one game and then uh, Norvell's going. I think that's going to be his biggest headache is wondering what these kids are doing that weekend where Florida State's off because you get an exposure. You get a positive test before Miami. I mean, it, Coach can't be too happy with that. So what was your guys' mindset on bye weeks in a normal year for a normal college athlete who could do whatever they wanted versus now they got to be really careful with what they're doing? You know, I think it just depends. The most of the week we were practicing anyway, so some guys, they get to the end of the week and they didn't even want to go home anymore. But for guys that even want to play with that this year, I only got to say one thing, four straight. Yeah, Miami got three straight on us. Y'all want to make it four? Like, it's up to y'all. Like we can turn this around right now. We can do all the talking we want to do, but at the end of the day, it's about action. They talking about four straight already. I'm not trying to hear it. I don't, don't want to lose to Miami. I know y'all don't want to lose to them. But if y'all, if that's what y'all are serious about, we got to show it. We got to take accountability and stay stay in. That's that's all it come down to. If we want to beat Miami, we can't do it with all without all our players in place. So make sure we take care of business during that bye week. Yeah, and then um, one last bit of news of Florida State before we can uh, move on and start wrapping up here. Freddie, you played, man, but this bit of news, this is me and TJ. We're the experts here. Florida State announced they are going to allow tailgating this year <laughs> for the three hours prior to kickoff, so not the full four or five hours, which they normally allow. Um, you know, they a couple of national guys, you know, tried to shame Florida State for this. Um, I think it's great for, for the school. You know, they're, they're committed to having some fans there in a safe way. I know some people who have uh, gone through the season ticket uh, 
selection process. The seats, they're going to be socially distanced. But if you want people coming to these games, you got to open up the tailgates. TJ, is three hours enough to tailgate? Man, I'm, I'm used to, in my college days, we'd get there at 8 a.m. for 8 p.m. kickoff. So I, I don't know if three hours is going to be enough. For how washed I am, three hours sounds perfect. Um, to not have yeah. to get out there at 6 a.m. anymore. Um, they, you know, Andy talked about, Andy Staples talked about Mike's Beer Barn. Uh, to not have to get to Mike's at 7 a.m. and be carrying a, a freaking keg over the green sounds great. So three hours is good for me. But in all seriousness, yeah, I think tailgating is the right move. I mean, you're not going to hear me disagree with that. I, I'm assumption of if you want to tailgate, go do it. If you don't, don't. And if you think it's not safe or you don't think it's a good idea, then stay home. You know, but the people that want to and you know want to take the potential risk, go do it. You know, so I'm a I'm a big fan of Florida State doing that and, and having it for this year. Three hours is smart. Because here's a thing that we, we talked about. And then controlling it, you know, making it a thing as opposed to a 12-hour thing or, or whatever, you know, like they've done in the past. So good move by FSU. I see a um, question in the comments that they ask who's going to be the hardest hitter on the, in the upcoming season on defense. What y'all think? I think Freddie's going to be the hardest. He's hard anyway. That's my joke of the day. But what do you guys think? <laughs> um, I, I like um Hamza. He's a he's a thumper. Hamza he is hard, but me personally. One guy I seen in action, and I saw him come up. Emmett, Emmett Rice. Every every play he coming, he a smaller guy, but he coming with bad intentions every play. So that's that's who I'm rolling with, Emmett Rice. So Florida State, they're kind of uh, picking and choosing what they let out right now, but I haven't seen a video of him yet, at least doing it. But I got to support the local guy, the Orlando man. Our true freshman, Stephen Dix Jr. Man, he just looks like someone that I would not want to be anywhere near on a football field with. He looks like he's got bad intentions, and I think he's someone who can really lay the wood. I even saw uh, Derek Brooks' little kid get after it. You know, he, he popped someone pretty good in a video they let out. Um, I don't know what his role is going to look like, but that was good to see. And then I, I think uh, Brennan Gant, man, I think he's a guy that can really get down and, and lay the wood. I'm This defense, I'm excited. I mean, uh, you know, we talk, we have our worries about the offensive line, and, and that gets talked about a lot. But this defense as a whole, I I think they can be really good, and I'm excited to watch them play if they know what they're doing. Yeah, without um, and just to kind of follow up on that, again, he's Polk County guy, so shout out again. Yeah. He is a thumper. But these guys, these backers, whole entire defense, they put on so much weight this offseason. Shout out to Coach Storms, man. Like, you don't really know who the guy's going to be because we got – Listen, man, I, I make jokes all the time. Last year in our jerseys, we look – I don't know if y'all seen the Soldier Boy crank that um, video where you had the big baggy – like, that's how we looked in our jerseys. Like, guys weren't fitting into their jerseys. We looked like – what's that movie, The Little Giants? We looked like The Little Giants out there last year. But we don't have any thin men guys anymore. Coach Storm, shout out to you. I'm sure a lot of guys are going to be popping pads this year because they, they look ready. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things, man. It's That's what I loved about that 2013 defense. It's contagious. One guy makes a hit, 
everybody wants to get out there and they say, man, I, I want to make it. I want to be in film room on Monday where everyone can watch me knock this guy out. So I'm, man, I, I really do. Fuller, again, he, he's proven to his two previous stops. He's improved the defense greatly. If you look at the advanced metrics, man, I this defense, it's, I pray the season gets played and we get to see it out because I'm excited to see what happens there. I think the defense was such a let. years. Man, I have, you guys think about it. I have things going in and out on my end. Maybe that was just the beer at the at the place that I went to dinner tonight. Um, but uh, appreciate Guthrie's. Appreciate Guthrie's in Tallahassee. We got tagged in a couple of pictures of folks that live uh, near Guthrie's in Alabama. If you are anywhere at Guthrie's, you know we appreciate our sponsor that the Guthrie's in Tallahassee, twenty five fifty North Monroe, eighteen eighteen West Tennessee. Um, if you're at any Guthrie's and you tag us in a picture, I will send you a double fries, no slaw sticker. Don't order coleslaw and tag me in the picture. Um, confession, I had a mango jalapeno coleslaw at a local fish joint near my house tonight. And it was amazing. And I will say, I think the exception is if you get like a really good coleslaw somewhere, it's allowed. But if you go to a fast food place, you, you have to get the double fries. Like that's the that's the rule. You know, you're allowed to get coleslaw in your life at some point, but if you go to Guthrie's and get coleslaw, you're you're kind of canceled. Like we'll block you from being able to, to listen to the show. Uh, appreciate Guthrie's. Appreciate their support. Again, if you're on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, Double Fries, No Slaw, Double Fries Pod, um, search us and give us a like, follow there. Uh, we shout out the Instagram winner. Last thing I've got, um, rest in peace to the Black Mama. Today is Kobe Bryant's 42nd birthday. Uh, tomorrow, 824, is Kobe Day in Southern California. Um, 823, though, today is his birthday, tomorrow being Mamba Day. Um, I remember when Kobe tweeted out about Demarcus Walker, my favorite athlete of all time, tweeting out the best player on defense on that 2016 team. Um, that was a ton of fun. But rest in peace to the legend, Kobe Bryant. And then my daughter's second birthday is on 825. So 823 is Kobe's birthday, 824, Mama Day, 825, Elena Pittenger's birthday. So shout out to those three days. Fun week coming up. You guys have any shout outs before we get out of here? Um, I wasn't thinking, but I mean, uh, before he hopped on here, I, was, I don't know if you guys saw that Mavericks game. Shout out to Luca, man. This is the shot. He just stepped back and drained at the buzzer. So that's going to be a series right there. So if you're watching these playoffs, I know TJ, you, you got a scare in game one. My magic, you know, gave some false hope in game one. Uh, but the, the playoffs have been entertaining so far. Um, uh, shout out to my mom and sister. My sister's a new mom a few months now. My mom's up there. Uh, doing the grandma stuff. So she's seeing the grandbaby more than she's seeing me since this pandemic. So shout out to them. I, I know they're listening to two of our, our loyal fans. So how about you, Freddie? Um, yeah, um, of course, um, Kobe Bryant, RP to a legend. Happy birthday. You inspired so many. Your, your legacy will forever live on. I'm sad to see you going so early, but you inspired so many. And we're going to continue to make sure that you never forgotten. And to kind of follow up on what you said, 
Luca wanted me some money today. The ball more, man. Paul George folding, but we came through. Thank, thank you, Luca. I'm, I got to get the jersey now. <laughs> that uh, that game winner was pretty fantastic. I was watching it on my phone at the restaurant, um, and. and uh, when he hit that, I thought I was going to jump it. My wife's like, hey, calm down, man. We're trying to eat dinner. And I was like, hey, there's something more important than dinner. So, um, yeah, hopefully they can beat the Clippers because I'm not super confident in the Lakers to, to keep rolling people over. But, uh, you know, I'd love to see the Mavs in the conference finals with the Clippers. So go Mavs for me. Um, whose song is it this week? Uh, I think it's yours or mine. Yeah. Maybe mine. Yeah, let's. It's not me. Oh, See, I'm I'm versatile. I listen to anything. Um, put on that dirt road anthem. Some Al Dean, all right. Dirt road anthem. Let's go. All right, cool. Well, we'll be back next week. Um, if all goes according to plan, we'll probably be 8 p.m. on Sunday, uh, unless we have a guest that kind of needs us to switch time. Anthony Beck needs us to switch time up a little bit, so we went 9 p.m. Also, I had a dinner, so I won't blame Anthony. It was me, too. Um, we'll be back next week. Unless something crazy happens, we'll do a pop-up show. Next week, I think we'll get a little bit more into the team, uh, what we kind of see as an outlook, um, what's coming up. Season will be two weeks away at that point, so I'm super excited the closer we get to the season. Um and I'm sure we'll have another great guest for you. Um, T Evans 89 is asking real quick, why does nobody consider the 2013 team an all-time great team? Um, I do. Let me just, let me just tell you, <laughs> I do. This podcast does. So whoever you're following saying that that team wasn't an all-time great team, they, they ain't part of us, man. Like <laughs> uh, serious answer to that question. I'll let Freddie answer in just a second. Then we'll wrap up. I think we haven't seen that team's true potential in the NFL yet. We haven't seen Jameis really just absolutely shine. I think there are other players on that team that'll that'll do great things in the NFL. Um, talked about different, you know, talked about uh, Freeman and, and different players and stuff. PJ Williams is still playing. Darby's still playing. Goldman's still playing. There's still a lot of guys in the NFL, and so people look back at old teams that were great and they see what they've done in the NFL. Twenty, I mean. You know, that 2013 team broke the record for points in a season that was not broken until LSU's team this year that got an extra game. And so people do think that team – everybody on this show thinks that was an all-time great team. So you got to follow better people if, if you're seeing people that don't say that's an all-time great team because it was. Freddie? Yeah, you got – listen, to these these sucker ducks that cluck, you got to stop listening to them. Hop on the Double Fries podcast and we got you. Listen. Yeah. Anybody – knows that that 13 team all-time great team and although espn never wants to give us our credit that's more of a florida state issue they always have issues with us that team is dominant it could stand with any team line them up we'll play them so we don't really get into that we know whoever they line up we would have we played them so we ain't, wor- we ain't worried about that we know they ain't got to tell us just like they didn't want us to win that year we showed them it ain't no issue we ain't tripping on it they know they know what we did yeah, no questions there. I don't care about the love they get from national people. I saw that team with my own eyes. They beat the spread every game that season, minus the championship, um, which in that they beat the SEC seven-year streak. So I'm not worried about who thinks what. I saw that team with my own two eyes. Jameis Winston was the greatest quarterback to ever play. 
uh, a college football season and 3,000 yard receivers, running backs like Freeman and uh, Wilder. And I mean, even the fullbacks were good, Abram and Stevenson. And then that defense just goes without saying how amazing that defense was, where Jalen Ramsey was a not even a starter on that defense. Aguayo missed one kick the whole year, and I'm not quite sure that that didn't go over the upright at, at the Wake Forest game. So, yeah, you, you don't need me to get on a rant about how good that team was. That that was an all-time team, and there's no question about it. One of my favorite stats from that 2013 uh, regular season Ooh, is that Aguayo <laughs> actually outscored Florida State's opponents on the season himself. So that's how dominant that defense was. And a lot of those were extra points because that 2013 team did not kick a lot of field goals. But yeah, man, that team was just a dominant all around. I never worried. I went to that Clemson game feeling extremely confident. Uh, I think you guys are actually favored, Freddie, by like two and a half, three points. But yeah, there wasn't a game I went to. After that Maryland game, there wasn't a game on that schedule where I went into thinking y'all were going to lose. Like It it was only a matter of by how much y'all were going to beat them by. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, again, you don't you don't have to talk to anybody on this show about how you take that somewhere else asking why that team isn't considered great because we all consider it great. I think it's the greatest team that Florida State's ever had, you know, and I'll put them against I'll put them against 01 Miami. And I don't I don't consider teams that lose at home to to Ole Miss in the greatest conversation. So um, other than that, man, I think we're. I think we're good for the day. Now I'm all fired up. I go get some ice cream or something, cool myself down. But uh, appreciate you guys for hanging out. Dirt Road Anthem, Freddie picked it. Uh, thanks for the diversity there, Freddie. I did not expect it. I hate to stereotype, but I did not expect Freddie to come on here with I got me a cowboy hat in the room. <laughs> I love it, man. I didn't expect either one of you playing rap the first couple of weeks to to play Dirt Road Anthem. But I, I'm appreciating you guys for that. So – uh, same time next week, man. Appreciate you guys for hanging out, and uh, you'll have a good night. Watch out for the boys in blue and all this small town. He said, she said, ain't it funny how rumors spread? Like I know something y'all don't know. Man, that talk is getting old. You better mind your business, man. Watch your mouth before I have to knock that loud mouth out. I'm tired of talking, man. Y'all ain't listen. Them old dirt roads is what y'all miss. I'm chilling on a dirt road. Laid back, swerving like I'm George Jones. Smoke rolling out the window. And ice cold beer sitting in the Turn
think about them good old days, the way we were raising our southern ways. And we like cornbread and biscuits, and if it's broke around here, we fix it. I can take y'all where you need to go, down to my hood, back in them woods. We do it different round here, that's right, but we sure do it good, and we do it all night. See, if you really want to know how it feels to get off the road, trucks and four wheels, jump on in, and man, tell your friends, we'll raise some hell with a black top in. Chilling on a dirt road, laid back, swerving like I'm George Jones. Turn it off a real life driving, that's right, I'm hitting 